0: Good morning and welcome to the Automotive Hour. I'm your host, Lewis Aldezan with Mr. Brian Terry. Hey, between two of us, we'll try to answer any automotive questions you might have. Why don't you go ahead and give us a call? Our number is 291-6901. And
1: you add a 225 in front of that, you can reach us from anywhere inside the continental United States this morning. There you go. We certainly wish you would, wherever you
0: may be. Of course, if you're in Florida, you're probably on the road trying to get the heck that's, out of Dodge. That's <laughs> what I'm talking about. But if you happen to be anywhere else in the continental United States, you can go ahead and give us a call. sure would appreciate you chatting us up there you go letting us know what's bugging you any kind of problem you might have anything else that's it now's the perfect time to do that there you go well you know early on in the show we always have all our lines open and a lot of times people wait towards the end of the show and many many times we run out of time because after when you get down to about three or four minutes on radio you can't really take another call because you have your legalese and all the stuff you have to do to get out and you have to get out on time or it'll just Whoop. Yeah, that's... <laughs> <laughs> Just cut you all So, yeah, I always want to call in earlier in the show. That way you can get a good thorough answer, around, not a bum's rush. There yeah. you go. <laughs> <laughs> we were talking about uh, just different topics and things uh-huh. we haven't discussed in a while. And I think you came up with a really good idea. We haven't talked about instruments in a car right. in, in quite a while. And right. it's one of those things that is so, so simple, apparently that it goes without a lot of thought for the most part.
1: Right. As long as they're working and, you know, as long as the needles are moving, Uh you assume they're working correctly, and that's the last thought you have about them, you know? Well, that's right. And a
0: lot of times what folks fail to realize, I know a lot of times people will say, well, I've got this and this and this. They're talking about a very, very small deviation from what they feel it should be and what's being read. Uh Uh-huh. The first thing you have to remember, the instruments that go in a car are not precision devices. Correct. They are an indicator at best. Some the, of them are more than, just a little more than a glorified light. Some kind of a malfunction indicator light. And like I, said, I know they look like gauges. I know they seem to work like gauges. That's what throws people a lot. It is. And what has happened in the evolution of dash instruments and such as that, I know one of the big ones is like a and I'm going to pick on Ford just because it's one of the ones that's familiar in my mind, but most of the Ford oil pressure gauges, if you ever notice, when you start the car, it'll jump to right about halfway. Right. And it will pretty much stay there. It may vary just a little bit one way or the other, but never goes much lower and never goes much higher. Mm -hmm. The reason being, the way that gauge is wired is it has more or less an on-off switch. Right. When it sees about two or three PSI, it sends a signal which moves it to halfway. It's not reading like you think a gauge would read. Exactly. Where it'll go down when the oil pressure goes down or go up when the oil pressure goes up. It's more or less just an off-on switch. If it sees 3 PSI, it's going to come on, and it usually goes to about halfway. So by the time that gauge indicates no oil
1: pressure... It's almost too late.
0: Yeah, it's almost too late. You've just virtually got no oil
1: pressure exactly. at all.
0: GM has a similar feature on many of their gauges. In fact, there's one of them. It escapes me exactly what vehicle it's on. I think maybe a Trailblazer. The one that uses the two It's got two 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 sensors. Right, yeah, that's the Trailblazer. it is looking at some kind of an average, and the computer is generating what makes it look like a signal based on the RPM of the engine and all that, but it's not a true reading. Exactly. And I can't imagine why they would go to so much complexity to avoid just giving you a true reading. I know. It seems so much easier just to put a gauge with a reading. Right. And I just don't understand what they're doing, but I know there's one of them. The gauge will drop to zero under certain
1: conditions. Mm -hmm. If you
0: unplug one of the sensors, then it'll start reading again.
1: Yeah. I'm not sure what the software written program is there yeah, i don't understand how why why yeah <laughs> why would you even want to go to that complexity
0: yeah they make it very very complex to do something that should be simple and more or less to fool people i guess yeah but it's sort of strange so the first point is number one those gauges are not precision instruments right they are indicators and you have to kind of be familiar with how your gauge works The Chevrolet, like in the pickup trucks and stuff, the gauge does more or less work. It will show high pressure. It will show low pressure. But you got to watch what will happen on those. They're notorious for the sender unit going out. And Mm -hmm. generally, when the sender unit goes out, it'll do one of two things. Either it will peg all the way over to 90 PSI, or Or depending on how it
1: fails, it'll peg over to zero. And when it goes to zero, it turns on the chime to alert you that the gauge has gone to zero.
0: Yeah, or that it thinks there's no oil pressure.
1: Right. Because
0: the same thing that runs the gate runs the chime. sure. In fact, if your gauge drops to zero and you do not get a chime, most likely the instrument itself
1: has failed. Exactly.
0: And that's another thing on General Motors products for several years. Again, I think it started somewhere around 04, 05, ran up to about 07 or 08. They had defective stepper motors. Mm-hmm. And they had the tremendous amount of problem. Normally the speedometer would go out first, just because it's the one that reads the most, but not necessarily. I've seen the fuel the tac- gauge, the, the, the tachometer, tachometer, the right, all any, pressure, any of them, any one or any combinations of them can go out.
1: Right, they're all susceptible to the same failure.
0: And the way they failed was different. It may fail, the speedometer's reading 50 miles an hour when you're sitting still. Mm-hmm. It may also fail that it goes to zero and doesn't come up. It could fail a number of different ways. Same thing with the fuel gauge and everything else. It may peg all the way over. It may just stop at one spot and just not read anymore and you go ahead and run out of gas. So mm-hmm. it was sort of insidious the way they would fail. They did have a recall on that, but ironically they only recalled yep. them, I think, up to about seventy five or eighty thousand miles.
1: Right. And generally what happened after 90. that. Yeah.
0: <laughs> <laughs> yep. Yeah, kinda yeah. kinda of, kinda of, kind of funny the way that worked out. And
1: you know, you could take that instrument cluster out of that vehicle and send it off and have it rebuilt right you can and a lot of people a lot
0: of people were rebuilding them in ho- in house right we used to rebuild them in house when there were more of them they've just about all got fixed or gone away right now we don't see them very much occasionally we still see one come through and we'll replace the stepper motors but a lot of times nowadays you just don't see that but like I said that was another example of one where the gauges would just fail in sure. the vehicle sure another one that i used to see was the for some reason, it was on the H3. We saw it a lot, although that's the same cluster as some of the others. But the temperature gauge would just read wrong. Mm-hmm. You remember those? It would yep. show to be overheating.
1: When it wasn't.
0: It was not overheating. You could go to the other sender on the computer that you could read with a scan tool, and the temperature was normal. But the gauge would show an overheat. And it, it wouldn't go all the way over, but it would go about three-quarters.
1: Which is more than it used to run. Right. I mean, that's what got people. They, they when you, It never did that before. Right. It would run halfway And then all of a sudden, now it's running three Three quarters. quarters And assuming that the gauge is correct, you think you got a problem. And I would see
0: people spend a lot, a lot of money money trying to correct that problem. Usually, the first thing they would do is go change the thermostat. And then maybe Mm -hmm. they would change the fan clutch. And then, who knows, maybe change the radiator. And this thing just keeps overheating. They would bring it in. First thing, you put a scan tool on it, you read the computer gauge, and it's normal. So you put a thermometer in the radiator, and it is is normal. It's not hot. It's the gauge is bad. And I'm
1: glad you made that point. The computer does not use the same sender to read the temperature as the gauge does. That's right. So if you go start changing the sender, you have to make sure you have the right one.
0: Yeah, there's two senders on most vehicles. And if you just look in there, you'll see a sender. It may be very
1: prominent. You might see
0: it. You might. I say one (laughs) may be very prominent. It may not be the one you need. I've sh- seen many times where people would change the sensor, so well, I know it's not the sending unit because I replaced that. Uh-huh. I said, "No, no, no, you, you did. You changed the, the wrong one. one for the computer. You didn't change one for the gauge. Exactly. So that's another one of those little idiosyncrasies that can come oh, into yeah. there. But another thing is, you got to remember, an engine will respond based on what it thinks the temperature is. Correct." You know the computer and all the things that that car is going to do when it starts to overheat is not the same. And there's if you've got a gauge that is showing that it's overheating, but it's not. As long as the computer is reading right, it doesn't care what that gauge says. Exactly. Ironically, if you've got a sender unit for the computer that's bad, and not the gauge, the gauge may read normally, but the engine may be going to shut down strategy and all that. Right. Because it is going to respond based on what that sensor tells it it has no idea whether that engine's hot or not it except just, that
1: the that's the, tells it it is. that's the information it's getting i
0: remember a few several months ago we had a guy and he kept doing all kinds of things because he thought his car he didn't know what was wrong with the car mm-hmm. and he said well the gauge doesn't show that it's hot but it is it, the air conditioner's turning off and this right. is doing that well again the sending unit for
1: the computer was bad and it was given it a false reading it was overheating
0: so it's going to Oh yeah! It's it doesn't going to... matter if it is overheating or if it thinks a computer only knows what the sensors tell it. Right. It doesn't have any common sense, and it's not like a human being that has five, six, seven senses that they can sense something with. In other words, they can look with their eye, they can smell with their nose, they can they can take a lot of samples, compare them, and say, "Well, I know this is saying this, but it doesn't seem that way." A computer just can't do that. Whatever input it gets,
1: it it's, responds.
0: It's going to respond based on the software to that input.
1: Exactly. Let's see if we can catch one of our phone calls. Right. we got
0: Patrick online. Good morning, Patrick. Hey, Louis. Good
2: morning. You, you know, Look, I recently put my car into you, and deal with, and I've got like a just a bunch of repairs I didn't think made sense to do it, so I'm just going to get me something. I, I, I want to. I need to find a new car. Mm-hmm. I was going ask you some advice on that. Okay. Look, I care nothing about cars. I, it, it's just a tool to me. Right. And okay. whatever I, yeah, I got my family car, whenever I get, it's going to be – i'm gonna be honest i live out of my car my mm-hmm. sales all on the road all all right i'm gonna trash it out anyway You probably if you remember my car so i'm looking for something i want to know i just want something to last and i'm gonna get me a little compact car because i find it's just easier to drive mm-hmm. what's some? how many mile you know models uh, here's what i'm looking at how old should i go mm-hmm. don't go beyond this year and how many miles and maybe you know Heck, I've looked all over the place. I've seen you got certainly my wife. You know,
0: Toyotas
2: and Hondas last so long. And yeah. You got great prices on Kias, and I just don't even know. Yeah.
0: I um, will tell you, Patrick. I wouldn't consider anything else under the conditions you're talking about, but a Toyota or a Honda. All those other little cars are okay up to about a hundred thousand miles, and then they just kind of start falling apart, and it costs more to try to keep them going than you could buy something better. A Toyota, I would not be very concerned. I would try to get something 10 years or less old if possible. So you're talking around 07, 08, something in there. The miles would not concern me as much as the condition of the car. For instance, if it's got 150,000 miles and it's been maintained properly, you probably got another 150 in it. Now, conversely, if you got 150,000 miles, it's been abused and neglected, well, it's probably done. Yeah. So what you're going to have to do, the first thing you want to do is go to my website, type in used cars, and you're going to see about 10 or 15 articles in there. Go ahead, and invest the time, read those articles on how to look at a used car, the things to look for, and all that so you know what you're looking for. And the reason I'm saying that is going to come to the second point. If you can narrow this down to a very short list, then you can bring the one that, you say, okay, this looks like the one. Bring that to me. Let me check it for you and do a pre-purchase inspection, and I can spot any problems it might have before you buy it. Obviously, you don't want to bring that's everyone that's you look that's at that's in because if you do, it's going to cost too much. So you got to do some pre-work yourself, which you can very yeah. easily do if you read those articles.
2: Right. Okay. That sounds good. All right. I appreciate it. I'll, I'll narrow it down and bring it in. Yeah,
0: narrow it down to a short list. Bring it to me. Do not buy anything without getting it checked because you don't want something that's been flooded or something that's been wrecked and cut in half and welded together. And so, you know, we can spot those things. But if you get a 10-year-old Honda or Toyota that's been maintained somewhere 100,000, 150,000 miles, you can get a good price on it. You probably got another 150,000 miles in it as yep. long as you kind of halfway take care of it. And it just makes more sense than anything else you can buy. Yeah. Okay. All righty. I appreciate it, Lewis. Thanks Okay, Patrick, Thanks, man. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. All right. got to take our first quick little break. But if you guys hold on, we'll be back with a whole lot more.
3: Ever.
4: So, Tina, are you interested in shopping next weekend?
3: Oh, well, me and Harold leave for our European cruise on Friday. Another cruise? What? Are you all blowing the kids' inheritance? No, we're just smart with our money.
1: Like, our cars are paid off, and we're big on preventative maintenance. Harold takes them in once a year to Agco for a general inspection. They check everything out and perform maintenance on what we need to keep the cars running right. You'd be surprised on how fast you can save for a cruise without two car notes.
4: (laughs) Wow, I never thought of that.
3: I have time to do a little shopping this afternoon, though. I've got to get Harold a bathing suit. He keeps saying he wants one of those tiny Speedo suits because
4: that what everybody wears in Europe, and I cannot let that happen. Okay, now I have an image of Harold strutting around the pool in a Speedo. I think I'm going to book a
3: general inspection from Agco to clear my mind. He wanted hot pink, too. (laughs) Tina, stop. Schedule your general inspection today at Agco Automotive. Agco, it's the place to go.
0: Hey, welcome back. If you just joining us, this is the Automotive Hour. I'm your host, Lewis Altsand with Mr. Brian Terry. Hey, Dave, we were talking about gauges, instruments, but like any Saturday morning, you can always call on whatever's on your mind. Exactly. You never have to go with just what we have on our topic. We just need something to talk about between calls. Sure. But, yeah, we entertain a call on any topic you might have. Just
1: give us a call. And should you happen to miss your prime opportunity right here today, you can always go to your website and get your questions answered that way. The address is agcoauto.com. That is A-G-C-O-A-U-T-O.com. There's a contact bar on each and every page. Just click the button. A little form is going to come up, and you just fill out the information on the vehicle you have the question about. <laughs> yeah, I lost yeah. yeah. Wow. Yeah, whatever your complaint <laughs> is with it. And sometimes there's also another form
0: on there. It's just a general form, and that's for general comments and such as that. But if you use that to send me a technical question, like I had a lady who sent a thing. She says, my brake lights do da, da 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 but she didn't say what kind of car it was or anything right. else. That just really won't give me enough information to even hazard a guess because cars are all wired differently. So if you fill out the technical form and send that in, that will give me pretty much the information I need to get a, a proper answer. answer back to you. Yeah, it's very, very hard to try to diagnose a problem long distance without seeing the car or whatever. And And especially
1: without the right information. Yeah,
0: and because people's descriptions can vary so much. They do. One person may call something a growl. Someone else calls it a groan. Someone else may call it a whistle. Yep. And to them, that all sounds like the same thing. But to a technically-minded person...
1: That's three different things. Those are three different things. (laughs) It's
0: kind of like it won't start and it won't crank. That is two totally different things. Right. And to a technically-minded person, he's going to go to a completely different system when you say that depending on what you say right so if your car yeah 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 yeah, but won't start that's cranks but won't start he's looking at running problems he's looking at ignition something that's going to stop it from running if you turn the key and it does nothing at all that's won't crank then now he's looking at batteries and cables and starters and those sorts of things so yep I know it sounds subtle to the average person, but it is major, major to a technical person.
1: It'll send you off in the wrong direction for it sure. It will,
0: and we've got an article on the website that says shops are from Mars and customers are from Venus, mm-hmm. and it goes into the differences in a technically-minded person and why you want to be careful what you say because what you say is going to send them in a direction. And again, if they get on a tangent and go off, they could waste a lot of your time, sure. which is your money. Sure. Sure. So, If you just can't describe it, the next best thing is to get them to let the technician ride with you or come out to the car and show them, look, that's what I'm doing. Exactly. I can't put it into words, but that's what I'm doing. And all the better shops are going to do that because that way they know what they're looking for because unless I know what I'm looking for, the odds of me finding this in a quick manner, many, many, many times people will say they've got a noise. And you say, well, can you describe a noise? Well, you hear it. Yeah. Well, I may hear five or six noises. Exactly. Because we're
1: not sure which noise we're looking for.
0: Right. And do I go and trace all five noises down, which could take hours and hours and hours? Because you've driven this car since it was new. Certain noises are common to you. You know they're there. You know they're normal. But I don't. Exactly. I just get in the car and I hear a whole bunch
1: of noises. And and you're not worried about them. Right. One you're concerned about.
0: That's right. You know what the other ones are. You're not worried about them. But again, if you just tell the technician, hey, find the noises... He could spend a well, lot several, of money and time looking for it. noises and and then may not find the one that you're talking about. <laughs> yep. So you got to be kind of careful there to convey exactly what it is that you want. We're going now. Phone lines with Herb. Good morning, Herb. Hey, good morning. I got two questions. first one, like Ken folks, your brother, or somebody, you tell me, you ever had that transmission
4: service? No, man, I had that done one time. And like you say, it started doing so and so and went out on me. And you used mm-hmm. to always say that something always happens after something else. It's yeah,
5: that's done. right. Yeah. You
4: got to have a. And then my, my question is, like these 6, 8, and 10-speed transmissions, do they cost more to rebuild and say, a oh yeah motor, Oh, yeah. 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 And a motor, you know, like you, well, can goes out or your
0: transmission. They can, right? and in some cases they're non-rebuildable in the field just because of the type of components or the way they're assembled. There's the availability
1: of, them, of the components. Yeah, or
0: sometimes availability is not there, and because they've crowded so much stuff into such tight proximity, some of them are just non-rebuildable. all uh, thing you can do is replace them. So, yeah, it's – it's very To me, it's false economy. The customer will never notice enough no. benefit to pay for one single repair on one. I know that engineers are looking at it from a lot of different perspectives. They got EPA on their tail to make them meet certain tests at certain RPM and all that. And so they have to go to these higher ratio transmissions to keep the engine within an RPM range to meet the standards. I get all that. But if we look at a car as a way for a customer to get from point A to point B at the lowest cost, which is what I do, they don't really make any sense.
4: Mm-hmm. Well, I was, you know, they they'll wake up when you tell them, "Well, you know, this transmission could cost you more than this oh, yeah. get fixed and your motor would if you uh, your engine would if you uh,
0: Well, and the price of motors is going up considerably it. too yeah, just has. because of all the gadgets they put on them with the variable cam timing and all that. I mean, it's just cars period have gotten just exponentially mm-hmm. more expensive to repair in the last several years. Part of it is because labor costs have risen, like all costs have risen, but a much, much bigger part of it is the complexity and the complexity of the number of parts and all that. So, yeah, it's just getting to a point where the average person may not be able to afford a car at some point in the not-too-distant future.
4: Yeah. Okay, the well, next question is totally different. My son's got a 8 Toyota Tundra, and we're 62,000 miles on it. Well, last weekend, last Monday, he pulled a 20-foot car hauling trailer three four-wheelers on it to oven georgia up into the mountains and back and he said before he got up there he started hearing a sound like he had big great big mud grips on the rear and it still and it never did quit and it's it just kind of yawn, 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 yawn. you know mm-hmm. all, all the way up and down the line it's i tried to pin him down where we maybe it was a ring gear a pinion gear i mean but he said it sounds more like it's in the axle than the
0: Yeah, that sounds more like a wheel-bearing, Herb, and I don't know that the load caused it or maybe finished it off or maybe it's just a coincidence. But if it's a ring gear or a pinion gear, when you accelerate and decelerate, the noise should noticeably change. Mm -hmm. It should either get louder or quieter when you accelerate and let off because the the pinion is going to screw into the ring gear, which is going to load it considerably more. If it does not change when you accelerate or decelerate or if you put it neutral and coast and it's still there, I'm leaning more towards a wheel bearing. Now, the rear wheel bearings have had some troubles on those, particularly if you ever drove the truck through some high water. The water will get past those seals. It'll take six months or more for it to emulsify all the grease and kill the bearing. So, it's hard to remember what you were doing six months to a year ago, but I know we had a tremendous amount. I know he doesn't live in this area, but... We had a tremendous amount of flooding in this area and, and all over the country. If he drove through high water six months to a year ago, very likely going to be one of the wheel bearings. And the difference in a wheel bearing, a front wheel bearing, if you cut the wheel sharply one way or the other, it'll change the noise some because you load and unload the wheel, but not on a rear wheel bearing. It'll just kind of be mm-hmm. constant. It'll sort of come in at a certain speed, get louder up to a point, and at another point it may just drone out. You know, It's just too fast. You really can't hear it anymore. The rest of the noise just kind of drowns it out. but. Mm-hmm that's one of those deals he's gonna have to do a few tests and just see what affects it
1: now i can tell you some of those toyotas it sounds like a front wheel bearing when you're sitting in the driver's view in driver's seat yeah. driving it down the road it sounds like a front and you have, a front. <laughs> I've, I've been fooled once by that it's rear and to do or vice versa to do the rear ones you have to di- uh, take the axles out which means you have to open the brake system up because you've got to disconnect the lines you've got to take the axles out there's Toyota makes a special package. It comes with a backing plate, a a hub bearing, all the seals, everything. You go to them, you tell them you need an axle bearing set, and you have to have a press to put it on. Yeah, and it's a number of special adapters that make that job doable. I mean, without
0: it, I'm not saying it's undoable, but it is extremely, extremely difficult and usually ends up damaging a lot of stuff. And him thinking about trying it <laughs> yeah i tell you I, the truth if you want to pull the axles out and bring it to somebody who has the equipment we've got yeah. all the tooling to do it you could pay somebody to press it off and press it back on for you but it's a real job to try to do without the right tooling
5: right okay i guess that's all but yeah that
4: trailer was not a heavy real heavy trailer yeah, right? I, yeah i, I don't, don't think, think you know it
0: may have been just about to go in the extra load did kind of finish it off or made it more noticeable, but I think it's probably more a coincidental occurrence.
4: I was thinking maybe driving in those mountains up in the northern
0: part of the state yeah, there that could that be side loads. That and a long, a long trip for a long distance, too. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You know, a lot, no, a lot of factors could have contributed, but I, I think it was going to happen regardless.
4: Mm-hmm. Okie doke Well, I appreciate y'all's help there. All right, All right. right
0: sir. Thanks, man. Thank you. Bye bye. All right, We'll take our second quick little break, but hey, you hold on. We'll be right back with a whole lot more. Hey, Jim. Becky said you were in the office and... Whoa! What is up with all the charts and graphs, buddy?
2: Oh, I'm using my system I've developed to keep up with the maintenance on my three cars. Is that an armillary sphere? Yes. Yes, it is. So, the oil gets changed every third full moon. Brake pads divide the years Becky and I have been married by our oldest son's age. Timing belt is leap year, except when it's on the time...
0: You know there's a better way, Right. I just take my cars into
3: AGCO once a year for a general inspection. They give me an honest opinion on the maintenance and repairs I need. Sometimes it's just an oil change and they send me on my way. One time, they caught something that could have led to a huge repair. Saved me thousands. Wow, that sounds great.
2: You know, I'm always trying to save money any way I can. Uh, Let me get AGCO's number online and
3: I'll give him a call. Is that dial up? Dude, there's a better way to save money. Schedule your general inspection today at AGCO Automotive. AGCO, it's the place to go. Hey,
0: welcome back. If you just join us, it's the Automotive Hour. I'm your host, Louis Altazan with Mr. Brian Terry. We sure appreciate you spending your Saturday morning with us. Hey, if you got a question or comment about the show, you give us a call. It's 291-6901. That'll put you right straight up to the top of the list. You know, Herb made a good point, and it's something I know we've talked about this before, but I just want to kind of reiterate, and that is that everything happens at a time. Uh And, you know, linear progression does not necessarily connote causality. Okay, Very, very, very often I hear the stories about, well, I've got an old transmission here. It's never been serviced, and I don't want to service it because it might go out. Well, it's like saying I had brushed my teeth for six months. So I'm never going to brush them again. <laughs> you know, it's not the service that makes it go out. It's the possibly time. the going 150,000 miles without servicing it may right. cause it to go out. It will go out after the service, but then again, it was
1: probably going out anyway. It's
0: going to go out because you neglected it. Exactly. And you know, it's like we use the example a lot of times. You got a fella who's 95 years old. He's never eaten a banana. He eats a banana next day. He dies. It'll always be the banana that killed him. <laughs> <laughs> But it's the 95 years that got right. it wasn't a banana. Same thing with a transmission. A proper transmission service can never, ever hurt a transmission, no. will never make it go out, and may extend the life. You know, if it's already wore out, and that's another thing, is that people neglect the car, then it starts acting up. Then so they now go in and right. they, hope a service is going to fix it. Well, well no, too it, late. Was, it was already messing up, so that's why it goes out right after that. It may seem that way to you, but it's just not the case. That's just the way
1: it is. Yeah, it's just the way it is.
0: Well, see, every one of our lines, Uh let's see how many we can catch. All right. We got David on line. Good morning, David.
2: Hey, good morning, Lewis. Thank you for
0: taking my call. You bet.
2: I've got a 2003 Honda Accord,
1: Mm -hmm.
2: and for some reason, the brake light on my dashboard has come on. Okay. You know, like you pull that emergency brake?
1: Yes,
2: Well,
5: it didn't happen
2: until I changed front pads on it last week. Okay. And in doing so... Of course, I took a big pair of channel locks and squeeze those pistons back
0: in the caliper. Yeah, yeah, not a good idea.
2: And I'm just wondering, of course, I've done that for years and never had a problem. Mm-hmm.
5: I'm wondering if in doing so, I may have caused that light to come
0: off. It's possible. A it's lot of possible, but I tell you what I would check first off, David, make sure that the fluid level in the master cylinder is full. Yes. And is. if it is full, take the little, uh, there's a little float in there and it floats right. up and down and it's got a magnet in it that sets the sensor. Try this. Try unplugging that float from the cap and see if the light goes out. Because those little things, sometimes when you took the pads and all off, you probably dropped the fluid level down, then you filled it back up. It may have stuck. That can happen a bunch. That's the most common thing. Yep. So unplug no, that sensor and see if that if light goes out, then you can replace that little cap with the, with the float in it.
5: Well, i tell you, I've already unplugged it and okay. Unplugged it, Okay. And it didn't do anything. Okay.
0: Secondarily, look at your parking brake. Make sure it's not on a little bit or that the switch in there had not gone bad. Yes, sir. Because that will also set that light. Now, yes, if it's not any of that, then you've probably got some kind of an ABS problem because the ABS has a yellow light and also sets the red light, depending on the type of failure. You would just have to bring it somewhere and have them read the code and see what it is, could be related to back flushing that fluid in there, possibly not. I mean, the first thing I would try is to have the fluid flushed out in it real good by a professional, have him take a Honda scan tool, cycle the valves, run fresh fluid through it under pressure, and see if you can maybe clear it, you know, if that if that proves to be the case. If not, then you're going to just have to have some diagnosis done on it and find out what's causing it right now a regular little scan tool won't well, no probably it? not because that's not going to be in the power control module that's going to be in the chassis control module
1: you got to have a honda scan tool to yeah honda access scan that. tool or
0: equivalent well it looks
2: like if i can't get it i'm gonna
0: have to come see you there you go all right yeah we'll be glad to look at it. but check the parking brake also make sure that switch didn't go out i mean it would be ironic that it just happened to go out that time but it is possible and like i said sure. if you unplug that switch and it did not go out then chances are now i tell you are there some of those that if you unplug the switch, the light will come on?
1: I'm uh, Not really sure how that one's Most wired. Most
0: of them, I'm pretty sure when you unplug it, the light should go uh, off. But take the little float in the mouse and just kind of push it up and down. Make sure that that doesn't affect it. You know, push it up, push it down, and make sure that doesn't affect it either because there may be a handful of them out there that, you know, like i tell you, way. unplug it, it works the other way. It comes on when you unplug it anyway. Yes, sir.
5: okay. All righty. All righty. Well, you've been a big help. I appreciate it.
0: Thanks, man. Bye-bye. Oh,
5: have a good day. Uh-huh.
0: Thank you. All right, two nine one sixty nine zero one is the number, and we've got Billy online. Good morning, Billy. Morning, go Tigers. Yeah, you go. <laughs>
5: <laughs> Thank you for taking my call. You I bet. got a two thousand and seven LTZ Silverado Chevrolet. Mm-hmm. Okay. And uh, my sensor's going bad. I think on my right side on my tire pressure. Yes, sir. Okay. I got a yellow light coming on, and it comes on sometimes, and sometimes it works, and sometimes when it, it doesn't. Yes, sir. I don't know if it's loose if it's bad well they don't get
0: loose it's a sensor inside the tire that's part of the valve stem and the battery oh seven is 10 years old, almost 11 years old that's about the time those batteries start going out and what happens if the battery is marginal it may work one day and not work the next day the temperature may affect it and all that we've got a scan tool we can go in and read all the sensors and tell you what which one's bad? And on that, can you read the percentage of battery life remaining on a uh, Not on a Chevrolet. Not a it Chevrolet. doesn't
1: give you battery life on a Chevrolet. Yeah,
0: some give you a percentage of, of life remaining. Now, I can tell you, Billy, if one of them is bad, you're not too far behind on the rest of them. Yep. And <laughs> what a lot of people elect to do is just wait until they need a set of tires anyway, and then go ahead and change all four while they got tires broke down.
5: So oh, what got- it is, my truck's pretty. It's a 10-year-old truck. I only got 59,000 miles mm-hmm. on the
0: yeah. yeah, but the years are the problem on that right. one, not the miles.
5: Right. right. Another thing, I'm fixing to change my oil for the first time. I just bought it a year ago.
0: Uh-huh.
5: I only put 5,000 miles on it in a year, so mm-hmm. I don't drop it. But yes, sir. 5W30 it asked for. I was going to get the mobile one, and I was going to get a raw purple oil filter. I know a lot of people... When they change the it all, they don't. They just put any kind of filter on. The filter means a lot. You got to. Well, the
0: filter, filter means more than the all does. That, yeah. or As much right. as the all does. I like the AC Delco filter myself. I mean, they're all purple. I don't know who makes that. I'm sure it's a good filter. But yep. the reason I like the AC Delco filter, you can buy them anywhere, and they're a good filter. They'll that's, do the job. They're made for the car, right. and they're more likely available. The problem is if you if you're a fastidious kind of guy who's willing to plan and order the filter in advance and all that then that's good, but a lot of people don't do that, and they don't have a filter, and they end up putting a cheap one in. But, yeah, either one of those would be a good filter, I think. Is it, is
5: it six quarts on that truck? Yes, it yeah. is.
0: Yep, okay,
5: that's why I wanted to make sure. Mm-hmm. So I was getting, getting ready to get inspected also. Do they have a two-year inspection here in Baton Rouge?
0: I don't believe no, I think everything's one year. One year. one year. one year. That yeah.
5: won't fail me, my sensor being out. That has nothing to do with my automotive or my truck. No, my no, truck. no, no,
0: no. The tire pressure sensor will not fail you. It's emissions codes that will fail you.
5: Right. That's why I want to make sure. Mm-hmm. Essentially
0: no, no, sir, will not.
5: Okay. God bless you, man. Right. Go tiger. Thanks, man.
0: Thank Bye you. Bye-bye. All right. Let's see. Can we catch one more call before the break? Yeah, he said yeah, we he could. We've got right. Fred's been patiently holding. Good morning, Fred.
2: Hey, thinking of gauges, I got a transmission temperature gauge on the 2008 F-150. Yes, you sir. knew that already. Mm-hmm. My real point is, as you know, that transmission doesn't have a dipstick to check the fluid level. Correct. Right. So, and I look, unless I've overlooked it, the places I've looked, I can't find where Ford has a recommended fluid service change on this vehicle. It's a
0: six-cylinder. Yeah, most uh, of those are at 50,000 miles, Fred. They used to say 100, and they've had a lot of trouble with those. Is it a six-speed? Uh, yes. Yeah, the six-speed's have had a lot of trouble with torque converter shutter. I would not yeah. go past 50,000 miles with my vehicle. And you got well, to watch because that. some... Some, of them take, take yeah, some <laughs> of them take LV and some of them take SP, fluid. So you got to be sure you get the right fluid back in it also. And the only way to do that is to get the VIN number and look it up in service data yes. as to which fluid it takes.
2: So I guess the idea is if you don't see fluid on the ground, you assume it's got enough in it.
0: Well, yeah, that's what their idea is. Yeah. But uh, <laughs> I don't, actually, I don't be, like that. That, that, trans, that six-speed transmission is about four grand. So I'd be servicing yeah, it at fifty thousand miles.
2: Yeah. I guess there's not an aftermarket dipstick you can. No, get there's no dipstick. way to
0: put a dipstick. No. It's got a special tool for checking it. It's just almost everything today they've eliminated dipstick. It's just one more part they don't have to give you on the car. But yeah, yeah it, I mean it's not a big deal to check if you got the stuff to do it. But it's now uh, filling
1: it back up is going to be a chore.
0: Yeah, you got to have the right uh, no, tools.
2: No, 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 no. I'll, I'll take it to a shop.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm.
2: yeah, but I, I got you know kind of a sidebar, if you will. I, I don't want to talk bad about anybody, but. I went to a dealer. That's all I'll say, a Ford mm-hmm. dealer. Yes, sir. And I don't think I talked to a, an official master mechanic, but I asked the fella, you know, like a service technician.
5: Mm-hmm.
1: I
2: said, What's the fella supposed to do? He said, Drive it till it uh, leaves you on the side of the road.
0: Yeah, okay.
1: <laughs> <laughs> sure.
2: Well, I, said, Y'all well, I always
0: I joke, they say it's lifetime fluid in it. Yeah, it is lifetime because as soon as it burns up, that'll be the end of life. That's what and I'm And that may about. happen at 55,000 miles. So. Right. <laughs> Yeah. Yeah, my lifetime right. is like three, four hundred thousand. <laughs> so. Yeah.
2: Well, I, I, I'm an old feller. I was hoping this would last me a little while. Yeah, yeah.
0: I'd have that service properly serviced, not a flush, a proper service. Hey. All right, man. Thank you. Bye bye. All right, we gotta take a quick little break. Todd, if you can hold on, you'll be
3: straight up after this break. Hey, Mike, heading out for your run? <laughs> I just knocked out three miles myself. Yep. Did my meditation this morning to de-stress, and now I'm gonna get a little exercise. Tomorrow I need to take the car into the shop, though. That shaking problem's getting worse. Uh, you know, you should take care of your car like you take care of your body, and it would save you some money. What do you mean? Preventative maintenance is key. Me and Kathy bring our cars in once a year to Adco for a general inspection. They give them the once-over and perform the maintenance needed to keep us on the road. I haven't had any kind of major problem with my cars in forever. I guarantee they would have caught the cause of your shaking issue and fixed it before it became a problem. And probably saved me money, too. Yep. All right, I'm heading home this evening for steak and lobster. Then Kathy and I are going to test run our new hot tub. Surf and turf and a new hot tub? Yeah, and champagne. Saving money on your car allows you to enjoy the finer things in life, Mike, my boy. Schedule your general inspection today at AGCO Automotive. AGCO, it's the place to go. Hey, welcome back to the final segment of
0: the Automotive Hour. I'm your host, Louis Aldersand, president of Agco Automotive. Got our lead tech, Mr. Brian Terry, right here by my side. Hey, between two us, we'll try to answer any automotive questions you might have. Go ahead and give us a call, 291-6901. And we've got Todd's been patiently holding. Good morning, Todd.
5: Yeah, okay. I got a 93 Jeep Wrangler four-cylinder. The temperature gauge sometimes fluctuates. And I understand it has two sending units, okay, and it's pretty bad on fuel mileage is it possibly one of the units is telling the computer it's cold and running rich
1: could very well be yes sir yeah possible very very
0: possible and you wouldn't know except your gas mileage will go in the toilet you know any and i I say modern even a 93 is a fuel injected would consider a relatively modern vehicle it's going to be the biggest input to the computer as far as calculating fuel mileage is engine temperature it's going to that's look fine. at that temperature because it doesn't have a choke. So when it's cold or thinks it's cold, the big difference is thinks. And if it thinks it's 32 degrees outside, it's going to start double pulsing those injectors to richen it up. Right. Now, eventually, once it warms up, the O2 sensors will come on and say, hey, it, you know, know, it's we're too rich, rich, and it'll kind of lean it back a little bit. But on a 93, not so much. On a newer car, that would throw a check engine light. On an old one like that, it won't. So that's pre-OBD, yeah. too. So. Yeah, it could very, very well be. I would get someone with a scan tool, and almost any kind of a scan tool that gives PID data can read that, just see what it is the computer is seeing, and if that gauge is too low. Now, alternatively, if the temperature gauge in the vehicle is reading properly and you don't have a scan tool and you just want to try something, you can buy the little temperature center. They're pretty cheap and pretty easy to change. You can just change it and see what happens. I mean, you're not going to be out a whole lot of money. But just be sure you get the right one. You know, just ask whoever you buy the part from where is this located on the engine because there are two, and one yeah. is just for the gauge, the other one's for the computer. You'd have to change the one for the computer to affect it.
5: Okay, the one that feeds the computer is correct, the one, right? right. Mm-hmm. Okay, and I know they got aftermarket. Should I go factory on, on the? Sensors? I'm going to tell you
0: what I would go with a Chrysler part unless it's not available because those are fairly inexpensive. I want to say in the twenty dollars range, even yeah. for a Chrysler one, it's not like it costs three hundred dollars or anything. And I just like the OEM parts a lot better than I do any aftermarket stuff.
5: Yeah, and they maybe can tell me where it is. Yeah, he could. Know.
0: Yeah, he's going to have mm-hmm. some kind of schematic there. I mean, if you just can't figure out where it is, send me an email, and I can look it up and service data for you. Okay. All righty. All right, again, thank you, fellas. Appreciate All right, Todd. It. Thanks, man. Bye-bye. All right. All right, thanks. Listening to the automotive iron, there you go. <laughs> Let's go back to line with Steve. Good morning, Steve.
5: Hey, I got a, a 93 454 Chevrolet, driver mm-hmm. body injection. uh hmm mm-hmm. Where would the temperature sending unit be
0: on that, you think? Man, I'd have that's, to look it up. I don't know off the top of my head, Todd. Normally in one of the cylinder heads, but that's that's more of a it, guess. Than I, used, yeah. I can't remember 93 anymore. Okay. Uh, I don't work on them every day. I, but used to be that the one for the computer was in the cylinder head and the one for the gauge was in the intake, but I wouldn't swear to that.
3: Okay. I mean, what you
0: could do is you could go to the one on the intake and unplug just unplug it, it and see, it. see if the gauge drops off.
5: If the gauge yeah, well, not drop, I was I wasn't sure where I What started looking for it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, one will
0: be up in the top of the intake somewhere, and one will be back on the cylinder mm-hmm. head for the most part. Again, I can't remember exactly where it was in '93. And, right. but and then on a big block, on a big block. Yeah, we never saw that
5: many big
1: blocks. No. I mean, most everything yeah, was ninety percent of
0: the cars built had small blocks or six homes in them. the, yeah. the big block. Well, it's, was, a, it's
5: in a motorhome, but it's a yeah. Chevrolet chassis. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah.
0: Yeah, and that was a little harder to see even in a car because it's you know yeah, built back was, up in there. Right. But yeah, normally know. there's one up around the thermostat somewhere, and normally that's the one for the gauge. But I wouldn't okay. swear to. Sometimes they're side by side even.
5: All right. Well, they give me somewhere to start. Okay, Steve. Thank you. Thanks, caller, yes, man. Bye
0: bye. All right. Two nine one sixty nine zero one is the number if you want to be part of the automotive. I would love to have you. You were bringing up some points about gauges, right? And one of them is like on the Chevrolet pickup trucks. That alternator gauge.
1: Yeah, it floats all over the place. I mean, for the most part, it will go anywhere from 12 volts on up to about 14 and a half. Right. And depending on what strategy the computer is seeing at the time... There's five different strategies that the charging system uses to keep the battery up and keep all electronics in the vehicle running right. It
0: may command 14.5 volts under certain conditions. Under other conditions, it may command 12 volts or 12.5 volts. So when you see it go from 14.5 to 12.5, that is not necessarily a problem. Right. That is just the computer changing strategy on a charging system. I've seen people change alternators. Oh, yeah. And that's a very expensive alternator on that vehicle. Yeah, it is. And it does exactly the same thing. In fact, on my website, I've got an article. If you read, if you go in there and search like GM alternator, it'll show all the different strategies, explain what they are, and show you the gauge positions. But, yeah, that can vary, and it may have always been in one position, and mm-hmm. one day it just goes it, to a different position. It. does not connote a problem. You've got to understand how, how all it the works. different strategies work. It may just never have commanded that particular strategy. So Sir, you've got to right. be familiar with it to avoid spending money for nothing. Let's go back to our phone. I was with John. Good morning, John.
5: Yes. Good morning, gentlemen. I have a 2005 Chevrolet Suburban. Mm-hmm. It's got uh, over a quarter of a million miles wow. on it, and on the dash, on the dash, it said tighten fuel cap. Okay, mm-hmm. and, and I did tighten the fuel cap. It was not loose, but I tightened it anyway. Mm-hmm. Uh, right after that, and every time since, it's been a very difficult to get gas to go down in the tank.
0: Yeah, okay. those are probably both related. Yep. John. That is what they call the evaporative emission system, and it's a system that It sucks the fumes out of the tank. It vents the tank so that when you pump the gas out, it can put air back into it. And it also uh, keeps the emissions from the tank from getting out to the atmosphere. Now, what happens is that it's going to try to seal the system off and draw a vacuum and see if it's sealed. If it can't draw a vacuum, first thing it's going to do is tell you to tighten the gas cap because that's one cheap possibility, but certainly not the only. It could be something like the charcoal canister could be bad on it. That's the, the canister it uses to filter the air going into the tank. It could be one of the vent solenoids or the purge solenoids, bad. The thing is, it's going to have a code stored in memory in the power control module. You can read that. That'll tell you which circuit you're looking for. Then you have to go in with a vacuum gauge and a voltmeter and some different stuff and Do test. A little pen testing, you can go to the exact part. But, yeah, it'll start cutting off because if the tank doesn't vent, when you try to put gas in, it kind of bubbles back up the spout knocks that thing off on your fill thing. And it take you an hour to put gas in it.
5: Yeah, you can hear it, uh, you can hear it in the tank when you're filling it. Right. right. It just,
0: it's not venting the tank when you are trying to fill it. So the gas, it the gets gas, a big air bubble down there and it just bubbles back up and pushes the gas up, hits the nozzle, and cuts it off. But it's all going to be probably the same thing as far as related. it's going to be a problem with that evaporative emission system. And there's about 10 or 15 parts to it, so you got to do a little detective work to make sure you get the right part changed.
5: And do you think this is going to stop it from being uh, getting the proper inspection? Yeah, yes, inspection? If, yes. If, yes if, you're in,
0: if you're in Louisiana in the five-parish area, it will.
5: That's what I thought. Mm-hmm. Jill, and I do appreciate it. Thank you
0: all so right. much. Thank you. Bye-bye. All one sixty nine zero one is a number. we still got a few minutes. Be glad to try to help you out. But we are winding on up. That's <laughs> You know, another thing, a lot of the cars now have the messages and stuff right. that come up kind of like he was describing there. When those messages quit coming up or when they fail to work or read garbled or whatever, that is also the instrument cluster with a problem, but that is generally a problem that cannot be repaired. Right. That has to re- – you have to replace – the, cluster, the cluster to get that because either it's going to be the led has gone bad or the motherboard has gone bad right those parts are not serviced separately you can't buy a motherboard you can't buy the led display right when you buy the when you go for those pieces you get the whole
1: cluster right you would have to get the entire cluster now GM does sell a remanufactured cluster they however. do and they give you 20 miles to drive it to put it in right so once you buy it from them you take it home you put it in the vehicle you have 20 miles to to get take it, it to, to a, someone mm-hmm. to have it programmed if right. you do not have it programmed when that 20 miles runs out you've got a brick yeah it'll, because lo- it'll lock, lock up
0: and then you can't be programmed after that point point. and that's to keep people from buying a cluster not putting the mileage in it driving it around run up a bunch of miles and then going and getting it programmed right. or lower miles and they just don't want that to happen so what they've done is they put a loop it allows you 20 miles to get to a shop and most capable shops, almost any well-equipped shop can Can do do that for you. Right. But you have to go within that 20 miles, have that computer program with the mileage and the VIN and all that. And then after that point, it will lock up. And once it locks up. It's done. Yeah, we ain't talking not we ain't talking partially locked up. <laughs> no, it,
1: it's completely locked up. It yeah, quits and, working altogether.
0: And it cannot be programmed after that point. So
1: you end up having to replace it again. again. And some of those clusters are five $800.
0: Yeah, they, they run anywhere $650, 700 pretty regularly. So yeah. uh, not something you want to learn the hard way. And it was,
1: <laughs> it was mostly across the pickup trucks, but some of the cars were also involved yeah. in that.
0: Yeah, I think that's 07 up on uh, Chevy pickups. Right. Doing GMC pickup trucks. That'll do that.
1: Well, i see we're just about out of time. Want we'll to start getting on out of here. I'd like to thank all our podcasters for listening this week and every week. And tell your friends. Get some more people listening. There you go. Go to your favorite broadcast or rebroadcast service and find a written review and fill it out for us. There you go. If you can't find a written review
0: on your place where you listen, go to Google and just go to our shop, Agco Auto, Agco Automotive, and put us a review there. We appreciate it just the same. Hey, preceding was opinion based on our experience in the automotive industry. You guys have a great weekend and keep your prayers for Florida and Texas.